one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, folks. We're back. We are back in every possible sense. We're back in your ears. We are back in the UK. We're back in the rain. Hello, David Law. Hello. Yes, I've been out in the rain and it's just like it was before I left. But Catherine, it is fresh, at least. And uh, there is something to be said for that. Yes, when when Matt and I stepped off the off the plane or out out of Heathrow Airport on whenever it was Thursday, and it was a lovely sunny day, but I didn't instantly feel sweaty. I was it was a joyful moment, wasn't it, Matt? Yes, it was the best air we we breathed in in several weeks, and uh, yeah, I stand by that take. But as great as New York was, the the air was was tough to breathe. Yeah, absolutely. We loved it, folks. I miss it, but I, I, I don't miss the soupy air. That is for sure. Um, just before we get into the nitty gritty, I must remind you that we have. Uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out today, Monday, the 18th of September, is the last day that our incredible AO Travel prize draw is open. The tennis podcast throughout the US Open was, of course, brought to you in partnership with AO Travel. They operate the travel program for the first Grand Slam of the calendar year, which is also the next Grand Slam. Hooray for the Australian Open. Uh, there are just a few hours as we record right now until that AO Travel prize draw closes at 11.59pm New York time tonight, Monday the 18th of September. As a reminder, to celebrate the launch of that glorious AO Travel lounge, which I've promised is going to be air-conditioned, one lucky tennis podcast listener is going to win an AO Travel premium lounge package for themselves and a friend to visit the Australian Open in style this coming January. The winner receives two return economy flights to Melbourne, tickets to the Rod Laver Arena Tennis over the middle weekend of the tournament for two people, plus three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne, as well as two-day access to that luxurious AO Travel Lounge. So, 
Check your clock if it's not yet 11.59pm New York time on Monday the 18th of September. You can still enter to be in with a chance of winning that fantastic prize. If it's 12.01am on Monday the 19th, very, very sad and disappointed for you. The link to do so is in the show notes to this podcast and your show notes can be found by scrolling down on whatever device you're playing this podcast on. Terms and conditions apply. Very best of luck. We can't wait to find out who our lucky winner is. Right then, we now move on to the nitty gritty. And I say nitty gritty because, yes, we will be covering uh, the Davis Cup qualifiers that were being played over the course of last week. We'll also be covering the WTA events that were taking place in San Diego and Osaka and looking ahead to the events we got for this week. But first, we must start with the big news of the past week in the tennis world, which is that two-time Grand Slam champion and former world number one Simona Halep has been banned for four years for breaches of the tennis anti-doping programme. An independent tribunal determined the 31-year-old Romanian had committed, quote, intentional anti-doping violations. Halep has always denied knowingly taking the banned substance Roxadustat. Now, Roxadustat is uh, a drug that functions in a similar way to EPO, relatively new drug, um, works in a similar way to, to drugs that, that cause, causes the body to mimic the natural response to hypoxia or insufficient oxygen, essentially increasing the oxygen supply found in red blood cells. Uh, She faced two charges, one for testing positive for Roxadustat and another for irregularities in her athlete biological passport. The the written reasons behind Halep's ban were released on Thursday in a, how many pages was it, Matt? 112-page document? I wish. 126. 126. We all had a really fun Sunday, guys. (laughs) We all scanned the 12 pages where they just talked about what date they were going to hold it all on. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That that um, bit was particularly hard going, I thought. Yeah, we really really have done the hard yards here and waded through all 126 pages. Billie Jean included. She was on my knee throughout. Please excuse her barking. Uh, The summary of the reasons... Um, for Halep's ban, as I say, were released in that document and they're summarised here. I'm using a BBC Sport article by Emily Sally and Jonathan Jureko, um to help summarise this because I think it just is a really great summary of a complex case. So the conclusions of the report centred around the two key areas, the alleged contamination of Roxadustat and the discrepancies in Halep's athlete blood passport. Uh, Now, in terms of the Roxadustat charges, the report concluded the collagen supplement taken by Halep called Keto MCT was contaminated with Roxadustat on the balance of probability. However, the panel also concluded that there was another source of Roxadustat in the sample provided by Halep at the US Open on the 29th of August last year. Quote, if Halep did use contaminated keto MCT as she describes, it could not have been the sole source of the Roxadustat detective detected. Halep has, quote, not been able to identify the source of the other Roxadustat. The report said... 
quote, we recognise our conclusions involve a finding of something which in itself appears highly improbable, that around the same time in 2022, Miss Halep ingested Roxadusat do that from two entirely separate sources the supplement and somewhere else somewhere else um, we should not and do not speculate on how the apparently highly unlikely coincidence of the two separate sources of Roxadustat came about. The evidence just, just does not tell us. All we can add here is that if we were to discard one or other of the conclusions, one being the MCT was contaminated, two being she took it from another source, it would be conclusion one. The evidence in support of conclusion two is too compellingly strong for that to be the one to give. Now, the second charge, the athlete blood passport charge, the report, sa- the report said that three experts had, quote, a high degree of confidence that there was not an innocent explanation for the irregularities in Halep's athlete biological passport profile. The three experts, Dr. Jakob Morkeberg, Dr. Laura Garvican-Lewis and Professor Giuseppe Donofrio, Apologies if I've butchered any of those pronunciations. Assessed 51 valid samples of Halep's blood and each concluded there was likely doping. Halep's defence, including blood loss during surgery and spells when she was inactive, was was found not to be plausible. The expert panel had a strong opinion. The explanations provided by Halep could not individually or collectively account for the abnormalities. They concluded the possibility of blood manipulation was high, adding it was likely to be a prohibited method. The report says there are three well-known methods of blood doping, injecting erythropoietin, which is EPO, to stimulate red blood cells, infusing oxygen to increase haemoglobin and transfusing blood to increase oxygen levels. Now, I know you've heard a lot of my voice. Bear with me here. We're we're getting to the end. Why did she get four years? The BBC article continues. Well, the International Tennis Integrity Agency, the ITIA, which is responsible for testing within the sport, asked for a six-year ban because of what they argued were aggravating circumstances, believing Halep's doping was, quote, repetitive and sophisticated. It also believed she must have been using a prohibited substance or prohibited method from March 2022 at the latest. The ITIA suggested Halep was blood doping in order to boost her performance at Wimbledon and the US Open last year. The ITIA also asked for her results to be disqualified from the 8th of March 2022 through to her provisional suspension on the 7th of October 2022, that being her her tennis results, of course. The report found it was, quote, not comfortably satisfied that Halep had been doping from March, even though there were strong grounds for suspicion. No samples of Halep's ABP were collected between March and August of that year, so they had no athlete blood passport evidence to go on for that period. All of Halep's results from the US Open 2022, where she played her last match, have been disqualified, with the tribunal comfortably satisfied she had committed a doping violation at the tournament. Halep has stated her intention to appeal against the tribunal's decision at the Court for Arbitration for Sport, which is an avenue open to her. If she is to avoid a four-year ban from tennis, she has to prove on the balance of probability that her use of Roxadustat from another store source was not intentional. Now, 
this is the last bit from me, I promise, before <laughs> before you'll be hearing from some David and Matt. We just wanted to to bring you the timeline of the period in question here with Simona Halep. Starting from the 7th of April 2022, Halep announced that she would be working with Patrick Moritoglu and the Moritoglu Academy in the south of France. Then on the 28th of May 2022, about six weeks later, she announced the end of a 14-year association with Virginia Rizicci, the former player who had acted as her agent throughout that period, um, her whole career pretty much. On the 15th of September 2022, so a few months later, there was an Instagram post from Halep about a nose surgery for breathing issues. She said she also decided to do the, quote, aesthetic part. This was the caption on that post. When I decide something, I always go go full. And I trusted Patrick 100%. So I wanted his people and only his people in charge of me. That is why I made many changes in my team because I felt it was the right thing to do, go fully into that project. It was a very tough period because I always put pressure on myself and having the best coach next to me, it felt even more pressure to win and do well. This ended with the panic attack during my match in Paris. I felt Roland Garros was the moment that I have to play great because of all the work I've done. I couldn't handle the pressure and broke down. Then I talked to Patrick and told him that I need to relax because I can't play with the pressure I put on myself and asked him to be patient with me for the next six months. No expectations. He listened to me, agreed, and he supported me 100%. After that, I could play my best tennis and faster than I ever expected. In only two months, I was back in the top 10. Goal achieved. But then when I lost at the US Open, I realised I'm completely exhausted mentally. Having problems with breathing for many years already and becoming worse with time, I decided to follow the advice of my doctors and do the needed surgery. Then on the 21st of October 2022, so uh, a little over a month later, she announced she had tested positive for Roxadustat. Today begins the hardest match of my life, a fight for the truth, she said. Then in April and May of this year, Hallett posted... Uh, several posts about delays and postponements to her hearing and then eventually on the 19th of May this year she was charged with a second doping offence over those irregularities in her biological passport. I know that's a lot folks um, but it's not 126 pages. Um, we've, we've narrowed it down to uh, the meat and potatoes as much as we can without being overly reductive. Uh, we want to make sure um, the full and important facts are out there. We've also spoken to some experts around the subject. David, you've spoken to Richard Ings, the ATP's Executive Vice President of Rules and Competition between 2001 and 2005. He was head of the ATP's anti-doping programme in that period and he provided I think some really useful background for us. Yeah first of all I, I wanted to get his immediate takes on what he'd read because I knew even though he doesn't work in this field anymore day to day he would have read this judgment and all 126 pages of it. He's always remained and been a keen uh, observer and commentator on matters of anti-doping and, and testing and uh, I also wanted to to get a sense from him of the 
the relative punishment being given to tennis players in Halep's position versus some of the other sports out there. Now, there, there are a lot of sports that are governed and under the jurisdiction of, of WADA, like, like tennis is. And there are others in the United States. Uh, I know one of our colleagues, Gil Gross, tweeted a number of the American sports where a lot of the sanctions given out are a tiny by comparison for a first offence such as the one Halep's been given. So I wanted to get Richard's view on those subjects. He said, based on the detailed judgment, Halep was fortunate to only receive a four-year ban. He said the anti-doping agency was pushing for six, as you've talked about. She committed two serious doping violations, with the ABP violation being the most egregious. He said a high-range positive drug test only added to her offences. Her awareness of doping is almost irrelevant. She played enhanced and she had an unfair physical advantage. Now, comparing to other sports, he said some pro sports like the NFL don't treat treat doping offences with the gravity they deserve, in his opinion, handing out only minimal bans. Players doping in the NFL pocket millions illegitimately, Richard said. Most concerning is that they rob a spot from another deserving player. The light punishments in the NFL are a disgrace, especially considering the scale of the offence. If anything, an NFL player caught doping should face a longer ban than Halep due to the enormity of the impact. He adds, though, that Ms. Halep has announced her plan to appeal this judgment to to Cass, and at Cass, the whole case will be reheard, and a different judgment is possible, including the possibility of an increased sanction as a result. So, look, we we certainly have seen a lot of Cass appeals that have led to reductions, and that may be the case in this case. And I remember when. Darren Cahill first reacted to this 126-page judgment. He he said this was always going to go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So let's allow it to go to that opinion. He he said, I remain steadfast in my view in support of Simona Halep. This is a player he'd worked with for many, many years. He clearly has a very close bond with and he and he absolutely believes in her her integrity. Now, he did also give a statement in her support in in this case, and his he is referenced in, in its findings in those 126 pages. And to be honest, his view is discounted by the those that have adjudicated it based on the fact that it is a, is essentially a character reference, which is which is where what he's given all along. He has given the strongest possible character reference to her, but. His involvement in her in her coaching team had ended before the evidence that has been supplied and observed in this case began. So really, he he can't be seen as relevant. Um, I mean, I think my 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 view on it is that I'm glad that now that they've come to this decision, that they've released every word of the findings. And and the process that have let have has led to it because I've got rather frustrated with hearing so many players who know nothing of the detail of this case coming out and responding to every one of Halep's denials and appeals for it to speed up. And I do sympathise with with the time this thing takes. It must be it it's tough for for players. 
when they're being uh, investigated to have to sit there for a long time while this goes on. But what else are you meant to do? If you're the International uh, Tennis Integrity Agency, what are you meant to do other than make sure you go over every last bit of detail that is out there to come to the right decision, the appropriate decision? And if that takes time, so be it. That's the way it is. And we've had player after player coming out and saying, it's a disgrace and you have my full support, Simona. And I understand it on a human level. They're friends of hers. I think a lot of them are scared because they're scared of what what if it happened to me? Yes, the, the, the testing process is arduous and frustrating and it must be scary that you, what if you get one thing wrong? What if you don't turn up on time? Well, that's just the job. That is the job of being a tennis professional. That's part of the, the of what you sign up to. And yes, it's not easy. And I would I would hate it. I'm sure if I had to do it. But you have to do it. That's the job. Um, and I I feel like there's a danger that they have tried this in public before this case even got heard, uh, or at least the results of it got released. And that bothers me because public opinion ends up getting swayed by it and now suddenly all of this is released and people are shocked um and it sounds four years oh my god i thought you know everybody's saying it's so it's so harsh well read the read the case read the case um it absolutely she deserves the right to the appeal that she's going to go through now and we'll see what that unearths but uh i'm glad they were as detailed in their findings and release of their findings as they were yeah, absolutely. And a, a 126-page report is not going, or, or even a summary thereof, is not going to be read as much as you know, ang- angry tweets defending your your friend or uh, complaining about how arduous the the anti-doping controls are on on athletes within the sport. And that's that's a shame because I think there is a, an imbalance of of information, as you say. David, that's getting through to the general public. I, it's not that I don't have sympathy with athletes. You know, Maria Sakkari's been out there this week saying that, she, you know, she's scared because it feels like it's getting to the point where they won't even be able to take electrolytes for fear of contamination. Well, yeah, I'm sure that sucks. I'm sure that fear of contamination sucks. But, like, <laughs> if you want a clean sport, this is what it looks like. In fact, it probably looks an awful lot stricter than this, quite frankly. Is is Yannick Schneider, the the German journalist who um, has done a lot of work in this field, pointed out on Twitter, actually doping controls in tennis, a sport that is one of the most lucrative and strenuous in world sport, they're actually significantly more lax than a lot of other sports, certainly than cycling now obviously cycling has had a massive doping scandal and has had to take a good long long look in the mirror but you know just for example in that Halep judgment there being no data on the athlete biological passport between March and August that simply would not happen in cycling and a number of other sports I get that it's tough I get that there can be ple- completely innocent reasons for missing tests because having to give your whereabouts on on any day, every day of the year, that's that's tough and things can slip through the cracks. But if you want a clean sport or if you want to even have the semblance of a clean sport, and look, there is a valid argument. I know there are 
people out there with very coherent arguments that just do away with it all. The, the battle is lost. Do away with the doping controls. Let it let it all hang out. And th- that's a debate for another day. But if that's not your position, if you want to attempt to clean sport, it looks like this and, frankly, more. So I, I, it, it does frustrate me hearing hearing those complaints platformed so so widely without any counter to them that was a lot of that was a lot of me and david matt have you got any any anything to say to balance out the the voice of me and david in everyone's ears no honestly not too much to add i think you've both summed it up extremely well um yeah just just for anyone who over the last 12 months has said why is this all taking so long and as you said that's been the major narrative because the ITIA cannot comment on the case in a way that players can put their opinions out on social media, read the 126 pages, and you will understand why it's taken time and you will understand the detail that, that's been used to arrive at, at the conclusion that's been given. And, yeah, there's, there's a lot of damning evidence in there. One thing that we didn't mention was that Halep forgot to mention that she had taken the supplement. Uh, she, she forgot to mention it on her doping control form for the urine sample on the 29th of August. And she also didn't mention it in an interview with the ITIA on the 26th of October, um, which they obviously describe as extremely careless from from her it's all in it's all in the 126 pages. I think we should probably put a link to it in our show notes. Um, Good idea. Read it, basically. Let's let's ruin some other people's yeah. Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> if we've had to do it, then you should have to do it as well. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
we did have some entertainment to to help us through the 126 pages, uh, the Davis Cup, and in particular, the GB France tie. Um, now, I know we're a little bit GB skewed here, but it was also, even from a neutral's perspective, fantastically entertaining and dramatic. There's some... There's some existential stuff to talk about in relation to the, the Davis Cup and what's what's panned out this week. But let's let's start with the good stuff first. We know who has qualified for the finals in Malaga at the end of the year. The teams will be Canada, Czechia, or the Czech Republic, Serbia, Finland, the Netherlands, Australia, Italy, and last ones to squeak in, Great Britain. Out, crucially, our hosts, Spain and the USA, and we'll talk about that in due course. But let's talk about the epicness of Great Britain's victory over France late last night because because we'd spent a lot of the week, hadn't we, on, on WhatsApp being, being pretty demoralised about various different Davis Cup situations. And those moments last night when Neil Skubsky and... Dan Evans was celebrating victory with their GB teammates. Andy Murray, this might be his last ever tilt at the Davis Cup. Jack Draper, his first ever participation in a Davis Cup team. The intergenerational joy, just just all the feels. It, it was everything that's good about the Davis Cup and everything that sort of validates us, us highlighting the not so good stuff because we care about this competition and we care about the stuff that is worth saving because it is so so good yeah and and actually i would say i think you you nailed it by saying it's everything that is good about davis cup and i don't think the sport gets better than yesterday in many ways grand slams of course will always stand on their own but so does davis cup Every sport needs its own national, international, nation-based competition, team competition. All of them have a, a great one. Ryder Cup, World Cup in football, World Cup in cricket, World Cup in rugby at the moment. They all need one. And through all of its faults, and Davis Cup has had many to deal with, I think, flaws over the years... And the reasons I think that change was instigated and and there are still problems that remain that we can come on to. Yesterday was just a reminder of what it does to people who watch it, play it, care about it, report on it. I, I it, it did have every feeling imaginable right from and it had the uncertainty and it had the the look on the players faces as it was going along from Dan Evans taking on a young kid who's never played Davis Cup before in Artifis and playing out of his mind and then suddenly the wheel's coming off and, and Evan's overhauling him and then they have a bit of issue at the net at the end and and then Britain are going to win this tie and then Cameron Norrie runs into Ugo Humbert who, who derails him, forces this doubles and Mahu and... Roger Vasselin, who's never played the, the Davis Cup before, comes out and they play a 6-1 first set and they're absolutely lights out tennis and it looks like it's all going to be over in an hour. Then the comeback starts and it's going back and forward in the the third set. And then Evans finds himself love 40 match points down, three of them. And the second of which he lets 
a, a ball go past him without volleying it and it misses by an inch. And that's the difference between qualification and not qualif- qualifying in the end. There were other chances that France had and somehow Britain won that tie. And you end up with these scenes of delirium with Skupski celebrating on his knees like he's just won Wimbledon, like Evans jumping into the arms of Andy Murray. And then you, the, the the camera focuses on Nicola Mahu, who's, who's what? How old is he? 40-odd? Who's just played this incredible, incredible mm. match? And the look on his face tells... I mean, he really does make you feel things. Right from when he lost his first Queen's final against Andy Roddick in 2007. He'll, he'll always make me feel things, that guy. And uh, I know he's not been happy, as many of the French players haven't been happy with the changes that have been made to Davis Cup. But right then, right there, that was what Davis Cup always was at its best, and it, and it still is now. Um it was just electric, and then and then this morning we woke up to, to videos of Jack Draper singing and looking a bit pissed in the car with Andy a Murray bit. whilst being driven back home. A bit. Yeah, a bit. Uh, <laughs> little bit tiddly. <laughs> oh, it was just it was electric. Oh, it was so great. I f- I feel like I've just listened to an episode of Tennis Relived, Matt. That was that was epic. That was amazing. I told you I felt things. <laughs> Oh, it was it was as as moving and as affecting as kind of any of the tennis that we just watched over the last two weeks at the US Open in terms of drama and feeling. Um and Great Britain is such an interesting team in in the Davis Cup now in that the whole makeup of that team is so different to what it's been for years. You know, for years it was you put Andy Murray in the singles you put him in the doubles as well, and you hope he gets his two points. And that's that was kind of the job of the GB Davis Cup team. It was so much of it was on Andy Murray's shoulders, and obviously he he had some important help along the way. But it was essentially Murray, wasn't it? I mean, he won so many of Britain's points in the year that that Britain did win the Davis Cup. But now it's all about this strength in depth that Britain have. But there's sort of little problems in all the areas that you need to try and resolve tactically by who do you play at two, who do you play at one, who do you partner together in the doubles. There's there's so much now to to sort of decide on the makeup of that team. And it, and that makes for a really fascinating uh, team to follow through this competition as well. And, you know, you have to say that if they had been unable to qualify two straight years for the finals, having had the ties at home... That would have been a a real failure and and disaster, I think, for Britain. But the fact that they have managed to come through, everyone is just feeling, you know, kind of on top of the world, and, and, and they'll be hoping that they can carry that momentum through to to the finals in Malaga. But I must say, while while watching it, I did have this feeling that this is what the Davis Cup used to be like everywhere with a home and away tie because that's essentially what this was it was a a straight knockout the the winner was going through the loser was going home and there was this incredible atmosphere because it was a home team against an away team and I think when we talk about the new Davis Cup it can be very easy to forget that there were problems with the old Davis Cup that is that is why or one of the reasons why there was change 
implemented in the first place. I think we can look back at the old format through rose-tinted glasses and, and forget about the problems that there were. But there was never any problem with home and away as a concept and as a tie. And un- unfortunately, in trying to change the structure of the competition, too many ties now take place on neutral grounds and the atmosphere is not good. And it doesn't evoke the same strength of feeling and passion because how can it when there's a largely empty stadium on a Wednesday morning with, a I don't know, 10 fans from the Netherlands, um, 20 fans from the US and 100 neutral people in the stadium. That, that is just not the vibe that Davis Cup wants to create. And I think the structural changes, unfortunately, have, have meant that home and away ties have become a bit of a rarity in the competition, you know, and rather than being what it is all about. And, you know, we've seen this week how there were so many good matches, and but most of them were because they were involving the home team against an away team in some aspect. And, you know, I think going forward, there needs to be a way to, to try and get that home and away aspect back all the time. And unfortunately, now we are staring down a situation where there won't be a single home and away tie at the finals mm-hmm. because there will be no home team at the finals. Spain failed to qualify and it's a catastrophe. I think I really think that is disastrous. I'm sure there will be good moments at that event. I mean, I feel like GB might carry enough vibes to Malaga from from Manchester to 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 hold up the event vibe-wise a little bit, but yeah, it, I mean it it is I think it's nothing short of a catastrophe, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean uh... Well, it's, I don't see how it's possible to argue with that, really. Uh, it's worst-case scenario because I just assumed they were going to be in it and that that, that would be at least uh, a mitigating element to the loss of universal home and away. Uh, and now to have eight countries in it, none of which are Spain... I'd, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I think Great Britain will bring a lot of fans. And I think based on last year i think netherlands brought quite a few and there were there were some there were one or two other countries that but you know what chance have australia got of of being able to bring and they love they love davis cup they mm. love it you know and and that's the that is just a massive problem um i i still feel like there are better solutions out there i mean i've i've um i've heard things that mark woodford has said this last week it's quite interesting you know you've got leighton hewitt who's been steadfast in his opposition to this format ever since it was first announced he never liked it he's totally sold on home and away he's totally sold on best of five sets which i have to say i'm really not having seen davis cup yesterday i think best of three absolutely works in the davis cup um but finding a solution to maximising the amount of home and aways, but without going back to what it was, because I'm afraid that did, that was it was dying. Players were not playing, and that's you know something that Mark Woodford, in his role as 
chairman of the Davis Cup committee was very keen to to say is look it's it's very easy to to think oh it's so great before there were so many players who might win it once and not play it for several years then afterwards so something needed to change but something needs to change again in my opinion and and I I, I believe that I can come up with a good system <laughs> so uh I am going to work on my uh on what I developed with my uh return to the challenge round um and uh, and I'm going to come up with something very excited for that <laughs> on on the on the subject of no home team in the finals the Billie Jean King Cup was facing that last year and and the solution was to give a wild card to Britain and look, I don't think that was satisfactory either. So, obviously, you know, Britain played a great part in, in those Billie Jean King Cup finals last year, doing so well and definitely helping the competition. It was definitely better for the fact that the home nation was was in the finals. However, I think what we're basically saying is that just structurally, the competition needs to be so, so that it's, you don't need to give a wild card to the team in the finals and that there's no chance that the finals can be held in a country where they haven't qualified like you need to have a a solution that works so that whoever's in the final one of those teams at least is playing at home that just seems like it should be a red line really because home and away is is what is what davis cup and billy jean king cup is all about yeah, it's better integrity-wise that, that there's not the the wild card situation. I mean, it was it was not great that last year a wild card team ended up winning. Now that was due to the unprecedented situation of of Russia being being banned from the competition midway through the season. But yeah, just not great for the integrity of the sport. Um, I, I I I think the tournament organisers, if they could sell a bit of integrity now to get Spain in. <laughs> They would probably do that, and I would probably understand it. Um, but I think the ship has sailed, and I think we're going to have a situation where you got Carlos Alcaraz at home in Murcia, you know, wishing he was playing Davis Cup and and not being able to play. Now that's on him because he didn't he didn't play the qualifier. Maybe he wasn't fit. Um, he's had a bit of stick, hasn't he, in the international press? I think more than the Spanish press for being pictured at a bullfight this week um, while the uh, Davis Cup qualifiers uh, were taking place. Novak Djokovic all but said, I might not have bothered if Carlos Alcaraz, <laughs> if I knew Carlos Alcaraz wasn't going to be here. He didn't put it like that. I mean, he is, he's been very committed to playing Davis Cup and good on him for, for going and helping his country qualify. But he did say, he did give some quotes sounding a bit miffed saying, when I signed up, I definitely thought Carlos Alcaraz was going to be here and we'd have the opportunity to play. <laughs> Must have felt like a personal attack for Alejandro Davidovich mm. Fakina that uh, <laughs> Novak Djokovic played played one live match in the uh, in the Davis Cup this week, and it was a it was a singles effort to beat him and and in doing so knock Spain out. And then uh, he did play one dead rubber doubles match, Djokovic as well. Um, but yeah, honestly, I think. Look, Alcaraz had some strapping on his leg, didn't he, during the US Open. He did mention a a bit of pain that he was feeling in his leg there. And, you know, he won the US Open last year, went to play Davis Cup and ended up 
having a lot of physical problems at the end of last season and it meant that he missed the Australian Open at the start of this year. You know, it all sort of took its toll and I think we all said he needs to be protecting his body. It just, it doesn't look great or feel great that he didn't have a particularly taxing US Open this year compared to last year. He only played, I think, two four-setters, the rest were all straight sets. He missed the most of the gruelling conditions. He went out on the Friday, didn't go all the way to the Sunday, you know, and he doesn't play. And Novak Djokovic, who wins the tournament, is 36 years old, does show up and play Davis Cup. It it doesn't look great for Carlos Alcaraz. He he may well have his reasons and, you know, it does feel a bit of a no-win situation for him. But, you know, it's incredibly disappointing that Spain are not in, in the finals. And Carlos Alcaraz, if he'd played this week, would have would have helped them tremendously be, be able to hopefully qualify and... Yeah, that's that's the responsibility you have when you're the country's number one player. I think it it does sort of fall on you, and I think he's he's got to accept some of that responsibility. Just quickly, Matt, and this might be unfair on you, so please feel free to um, to bat me away. But just on the bullfighting thing, a few people have been in touch with us about this to sort of ask if we'll speak out about it, and of course, uh, you know. I'm not into bullfighting. I don't support it. We are animal lovers. I'm not into it at all. But I'm also aware that it is. It's a. It's a cultural thing. It, it's deeply embedded in Spanish culture, and I don't. I don't think it would be quite right for me to just roundly condemn bullfighting as a British person that has sort of no particular understanding of its place in Spanish culture, as much as I objectively find it pretty pretty gross like do you think it's fair that he come come under any fire for this I mean he does I think I asked because it's notable that he's coming under any fire at all right because he he just as he just dances through through his status and uh, in the world and in the sport right he he just he navigates everything so lightly that he he doesn't come under any criticism mm. yeah I mean I, I I think I'm right in saying that bullfighting is sort of written into Spanish law as being a sort of part of their cultural heritage um, although it is banned in in certain cities and, and regions in Spain um, I think even though it's written into into Spanish law, like you can still take a decision not to go. Like he, he didn't have to go to that bullfighting event, um, and I think Spanish, a lot of Spanish people do see the practice very differently to to how we see it. So that probably explains why he has gone. I, I'd be surprised if he's thought about the ethical and moral dilemma there. He, pro- he probably hasn't even given it a second thought. It's just part of what is done in Spain. Uh, but that isn't to excuse him because I do think, um, you know, people would be right to to criticise that practice generally and to criticise a 20-year-old who could take the decision not to go. But I, but I do think um, it's just so ingrained in so many Spanish people that they go and, and don't give it the same thought. But, yeah, that isn't an excuse. And I, I do think it's it's perfectly reasonable for for him to be coming under under some criticism. Mm, interesting. Thank you. Um, just last one on the Davis Cup. USA going out to Finland. 
Now, if you'd asked me to name a Finnish tennis player that wasn't a Finnish singles player, rather, I know there's Harry Heliovar in, in the doubles, uh, but if you'd asked me to name another singles player that's not Emil Rusevori, well, it wouldn't have gone well. And here they are in the Davis Cup finals, having knocked out the USA. It's a, it, look, I th- I think it's it's tough. It's a tough scene for the finals, not having the USA there. They would have enhanced the competition for sure. Um, you know, a, let's be honest. A big part of changing the format was to ensure you get big name players there, and that's a lot of big name players that now definitely won't be at the finals um, in Malaga. But it's it's a it's a nice Davis Cup story for Finland, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Otto Vertanen is their is their number of two course. player who uh, who won all three of his his singles matches this week very very impressively. Um, and yeah, so, so backing up Emil Rusevori. I think it, it's quite a tough scene for the US, especially coming off the US Open where there was so much talk about. Okay, we haven't had a men's Grand Slam champion since Roddick in 2003, 20 years ago. But this is our best group, you know, to sort of do that since Roddick. And, you know, Tiafo reached the quarters. Paul had a good US hardcourt summer. Ben Shelton reached the semis. There was a lot of positivity generally about men's US tennis. And now they've failed to qualify for the Davis Cup finals. Um, Taylor Fritz obviously chose to, to sit out. The Davis Cup this week. He's he he was modelling. He was modelling for Hermes. Yes, Matt. Um, and he's playing Labour Cup this week. I hope that he's going to have lots of questions asked of him about whether he's focused enough on his tennis because he's mm. you know modelling. Yeah, if he uh, if he was a woman, he that. certainly would have those questions. So so let's let's hope he does face those questions or not. Like maybe it's you know maybe the women shouldn't be faced with those questions quite frankly either like maybe it's a perfectly reasonable thing for taylor fritz to do uh coming off the back of of the u.s open like that's the major point here like it all as always it comes back to the tennis calendar and the davis cup being so close to the u.s open is problematic and it puts players in a position where they're having to make choices about their scheduling and ideally in an absolutely ideal world they wouldn't have to think twice about it and they would all play and represent their country but there are genuinely legitimate scheduling problems and I don't judge players too much if if they decide to take rests because they need them at some point obviously I'd love them to play but individually circumstances I, I do I do understand why why some chose to give it a miss. Um, just also just a shout out. I thought Canada were extremely impressive to qualify. They're obviously the the defending champions. Didn't have yes. Shapovalov. Didn't have Felix Auger. Didn't have any of their marquee names. Without all of them, they still managed to qualify. Gabriel Diallo and Alexis Galano were their uh, sort of heroes this week. Um, and Italy, Italy managed to qualify without Sinner, without Berrettini. Um, Lorenzo Mazzetti got dropped halfway through because he w- he wasn't performing well. But Matteo Arnaldi, who impressed at the U.S. Open, came in and and won his matches, backing up Lorenzo Sonigo. So lots of great stories. And maybe in maybe in typical Davis Cup fashion, it wasn't it wasn't always those top players actually producing those stories. It it, it is so often this tournament about some of the lesser names. 
Yeah, and the, the spirit of Ben Shelton will be present at the Davis Cup finals in Malaga because uh, Lorenzo Mazzetti uh, has started doing the hanging up the phone uh, celebration after a doubles victory having been dropped from the singles. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not pro people doing the hanging up the phone celebration it, in the right time and place, people. <laughs> let's not let's not ruin it before it's even got off the ground, okay? We must let's preserve some, we must preserve its excellence. Let's have some relevance, Lorenzo. All right. Um mm. and of course by the way, Canada would be hosting the challenge round final under my system. Uh which would be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, to to be continued when I put my blueprint down. Have we got have we got a time frame on that, David? What for getting it to mm. you? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll 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 work on it. Um, but I will tell you right now, it's a two year system. It's uh, you won't be having an annual Davis Cup anymore. It'll work towards a two year cycle. Hmm. Mm. Uh, last uh, opportunity for me to potentially throw you under the bus very quickly, Matt, um, is do we know whether Edouard Roger Vasselin at 39 years of age is the oldest ever Davis Cup debutante? It's a great question. I do not know the answer to that off the top of my head. But I was stunned he'd never played Davis Cup. <laughs> me like, too. He has been around not even a, forever. Not, not even a dead doubles robber or something uh, he's like he he predates air uh, bear like i know that they've had a, such a strong yeah. doubles team for so long but i suppose they used to have lodra or um you know other people playing doubles and he's always he turns 40 five. in november yeah and, and, and his kind davis of cup career is just starting he's the one who slightly lost it at the end as well mm. i did feel for him a bit yeah, there was a second serve return, wasn't there, on, on one of the match yes. points that oh. I think he would want back. Um, the WTA has been in San Diego and Osaka this week. Uh, the San Diego title was won by, by Barbora Krejcikova, her second title of the season, seventh overall. She beat Sophia Kennan 6-4, 6-4 in a cracking final. Um, good to see Kennan just building blocks you know but it's not a it's not a big sparkly making a run to a grand slam semi or final comeback but it's hopefully building towards something and i'm i'm pleased for her i think she got got a bit tight in some of the bigger moments yesterday but very understandable she's not been in that kind of situation for a long time um and krejcikova did the doubles she won the doubles with katarina siniakova which they went out really early in New York, didn't they? Krejcikova, Siniakova. So good bounce back from them. I'm, I'm pleased for, for Krejcikova generally because I think she's had a tough time the last six months. It's, I, mean, I, don't, I haven't like spoken to her, interviewed her as such on it, but she's had, her results have been poor um, by her standards and she's looked just a little bit uncomfortable in her position in the pecking order and, and all the talk. And I know she instigated some of it at the time, but I th- I feel like I'm just pleased for her that she's starting to get it back together again. And, uh, and I hope, I hope she becomes a factor more often again, because I think she's a great watch. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. In Osaka, Ashlyn Kruger 
won the title. A 19-year-old American who will now break into the world's top 100. So a, a real name to watch her. She beat Julin 6-3-7-6 to win her first WTA title. Julin is, 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 I mean, she's not as good as Nicholas Jarry, but she's, she's somebody that I always go, oh, she's good, she is, when I see her name in a draw. Um, she reached the final, so she is good, but she lost to Ashlyn Kruger. Uh, this week, the WTA is in Guadalajara for a 1,000 event. They've been hit by a lot of withdrawals, unfortunately. Ons Jabur is the top seed. She plays Alicia Parks in the opening round. Maria Sakkari is the second seed. There's also a 250 on the WTA side in Guangzhou. It's uh, the tour's return to China, of course. Uh, Magdalenette and Zhu Lin are the top seeds. She's good, she is. Um, the ATP <laughs> is returning to China as well. Uh, there's a 250 in Chengdu uh, with a Wednesday start to accommodate the, the Davis Cup. Um, Musetti Zverev Dimitrov all playing there. There's also the 250 event in Zhuhai, also has a Wednesday start. Hashinov, Nori, Korda and Andy Murray playing there and of course it is Labour Cup week or Labour Cup weekend rather we have Team World headlined by uh, Taylor Fritz Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul Felix Auger Aliassime Ben Shelton and Francisco Sarundolo and we have Team Europe which is Stefano Sitsipas Andre Rublev Kasper Ruud Hubert Herkatch Alejandro Davidovich Fakina who came in for Holger Runa who's finally withdrawn from a tournament he sounded quite quite worrying actually what's going on with Holger Rune physically he's been managing a bulging disc since since May of this year and has been trying to do so with just ibuprofen um, he quite clearly needs to just take a rest but that seems sort of incompatible with his DNA but anyway c- kind of relieved to see him pull out of the Labour Cup replaced by Davidovich Fakina and Gael rounds off Team World that of course is being held in Vancouver um, we have an episode mascot folks we have Mel owned by Patricia Connolly Mel says we put off getting a dog for years as we're all allergic We got Mel as an 18th birthday present bribe for our daughter Claire to keep her on the East Coast for college. She promptly spoiled him rotten for six months and then left for college in L.A. (laughs) So we now have a very cute but very needy almost six-year-old Havanese. Um, And I I fraternised with a Havanese puppy on Tuesday. In fact, Matt and I both did. Um, And... My goodness me, are they a bundle of cute. <laughs> Absolutely glorious dogs. So uh, thank you, Patricia, for bringing Mel into our lives. Uh, love the backstory. Um, are Havanese hypoallergenic? Please confirm. Hope, hope you're okay. Hope Mel isn't causing you significant uh, allergy-related symptoms. Um, we have our mascots. David's got Maisie. I've got Xenia and Matt's got Darwin. Do we have to do predictions again this week? Are they back? Yeah. Great. (laughs) Billie Jean, who you have heard periodically throughout this podcast. She's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. 
Yes, and just before I get to those, I do have an answer to the question of whether Edouard Roger Vasselin is the oldest Davis Cup debutant, and the answer is... He works quick, folks. Live matter. The answer is not even close, unfortunately, and that's because, uh, obviously, Davis Cup, you know, we mainly think of it in terms of sort of world group, that sort of top level, but, you know, so many countries play Davis Cup, and they countries without much tennis pedigree... And one of those is San Marino and uh, Vittorio Palandra made his Davis Cup debut in 2007, aged 66. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going, Edouard. Uh. Well, no, he can't, can he? Because he's already made his debut. (laughs) Anyway. I mean... Feel like we should end there. These poor shout-outs have to follow that. <laughs> yes, sorry, I should have done it the, the, the other way around. Anyway, we have got Anna and Molly Ramsey, who are in hey. Iowa City, Iowa. Ah, oh, hello, Anna and Molly, uh, like Molly McElwee of the Telegraph. Yes, like Anna Ivanovich, former world number one. Is it, I assume this is two ends, though, is it, Matt? It is a double N situation. Same church, oh. different queue. Uh, Anna, um, Chak Vatadze. Chak <laughs> Nailed it, How David. did we do that? <laughs> Thank you, Anna and Molly. We've also got Llewellyn and Shona, who are in Norwich. Wow. Oh, I felt sure they were going to be in Wales somewhere. Me too. Uh, I, I do not know any any Llewellyns or Shonas. I'm so sorry. Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. Tennis related? <laughs> Come on, I think we're having to widen out the scope here. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Love that though. Is this a, is this a duo... Uh, special. It has been so far, hasn't it? But that is going or to Or is end. that just a coincidence? Oh, okay. <laughs> Hello, Llewellyn well, and Shona. Do we know anything about Llewellyn and Shona? What we know is that, and this is reassuring, that they, they listened to the podcast for the first time during the 2020 US Open. And, and I'm just reassured that they carried on listening because those are some, those <laughs> are some tough time. podcast recording scenes. <laughs> What, you didn't like a 6am over breakfast recording, Matt? Is that what you said? That was the year of the caravan, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a tough scene. <laughs> um, we must have nailed it. Norwich is lovely. My brother went to university in Norwich. I visited yeah. and it was lovely. Home of Alan Thank Partridge. You both for being I friends. assume you both, Llewellyn and Shona, are Partridge literate. Thank you. And finally, we've got Andrew Greenhoff. Who, who we actually met at the Yay. US Open. He was sat very near the media seats. Oh, yes. And said hi. He was, he was very helpful with something. I can't remember what. But I remember <laughs> leaving going, thank you very much. So thank you for whatever you helped me with, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, cheers, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you to all of our friends of the pod if you'd like to become a friend then now's a good time to do it because we have two post us open us open shows uh, that we recorded while we were still in new york last week they are up and there for your delectation we have a q a show covering all sorts of topics 
and we have a US Open review show with incredible contributors, including Mary Carrillo, Pam Shriver, Simon Briggs, uh, others as well, Matt Futterman, Hannah Wilkes. Sally Jenkins. Sally Jenkins. Um, It's an incredible show, though I say so myself. And that's all there for you if you become a friend of the pod. So the link to do that is in our show notes. The link to the 126-page document is there as well. Pick your poison, folks. We'll speak to you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.